Hey, Real Talkers, midlife is an interesting place to be. You could be caring for kids while caring for your parents. You've likely at that point experienced love and heartbreak and wins and losses. Midlife number two is a collection of essays sharing Canadian reflections on critical midlife topics like housing, home, birth, death, race, identity, medical treatment, and the post-COVID era, all authored by former staffers at the University of Alberta's newspaper, The Gateway. You'll hear from six of them in this very special edition of our Real Talk Roundtable. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Talkers, we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. We promised you, if you tuned in on Thursday, if you caught our episode uh, yesterday, you know uh, that we we told you today was going to be a day with storytellers. Uh, we were gonna we were gonna step outside where we've spent so much time lately. There's gonna be little to zero talk about politics today. Uh, not that international conflict doesn't matter and isn't on our minds and hearts, but we're probably not gonna go there today either. We're gonna hang out with six storytellers in back to back real talk roundtables. The one thing they have in common, they've all worked for one of Canada's most known and awarded student newspapers. That's the Gateway out of the University of Alberta. And all of them are contributors to a beautiful book. This is Midlife Number Two. Now, if this sounds familiar, where have you heard of a midlife book series from those that worked and studied and caroused together at the University of Alberta? Well, back in April of 2021, a Real Talk Roundtable, followed by another, same format, featured six contributors to midlife number one. It was a pandemic project of of former colleagues coming back together in midlife and ruminating and telling stories and getting real and we loved it and you loved it so with midlife number two hot off the press here we are again i can't wait for you to meet these six i guarantee this is going to be a lot of fun this hour and it's all happening because of our friends at rello i want to give a quick shout out right now before we go any further this is for everybody that's looking at the kids going back to school and realizing that maybe you should be doing the exact same thing. You got up this morning for your job, but you hate your job. You feel stuck. You're dissatisfied. Now is the perfect time to go back to school for a new career. You can launch that rewarding career in real estate with Rello's affordable online courses. They make it easy to pass your exam and get your real estate license so you can run your own business, set your own hours, and best of all, be your own boss. The earning potential is unlimited, plus you'll be helping people every single day as they buy or sell their homes. The best part about Rello, what sets Rello apart is how committed they are to your success. They have live instructors who host online exam prep sessions every Saturday, plus a ton of resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. Right now, a great offer on deck, special for Real Talkers with the promo code REALTALK, all one word. You can knock 20% off any Rello course, 20% off with the promo code REALTALK at Rello.ca. 
kicking off season four, I thought I'd give you a little more work. So we're going to do two roundtables today, Ryan. I hope you're ready for it. I don't mind it. Season four, episode one. We're is that leveling right? up. I love that. Our third birthday yesterday. My voice box is a little banged up. I yeah, think people you... on the line are asking if you're sick. So. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not sick. Uh, I just, uh, I'm not going to lie. Christmas party season is underway. Yeah. And uh, Sarah Chan, Jen Pablano, and Neil Palmer can rest easy. Uh, I don't have COVID. I don't have a cold. I was just up late celebrating the season with people, and we're rolling that spirit into today's roundtable. Welcome to the three of you, and thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for I, having I can't us. believe yeah, it's been you. like, it's been forever. It feels like April of 2021. We were talking about midlife. It wasn't called midlife number one, was no, it? it? Was just midlife. midlife. Because there was, midlife. No, did you have an idea at the time, Jen, that you were maybe going to do a second book? No, we were just like, oh, we'll do one. It'll be amazing. And uh, we actually didn't even think we'd sell it. We just thought it'd be a gift to each other. And then it turned out so great. We were like, we should make this a bigger thing. And uh, then we just kind of kept going, basically. Didn't it? It sold out. Oh, I think it was, I think it was like hot off the press. It got very it, close we had to, to print selling it twice. out. So the first, yes, that's right. It the did sell first print yes, sold out immediately, immediately, and then we had to print it again. So this is this is what like I, I in my best estimation described this book um, at least number one a pandemic project. People in midlife or at least close to it, uh, former colleagues coming together and, and digging deep and telling stories about their own experiences. Yeah. Well, it turns out, you know, we used to all work together when we were children, 18, 19, 20. Some people took longer to graduate, you know, not judging here. Um, but, you, you know, you we had all these dreams about having these jobs, moving to these places, um, doing these amazing things. And actually, everybody in the cohort did those things, moved away, had those jobs, went to schools, live in New York and London. And it's funny because then you get to like midlife, which is, you know, we're 40-ish, um, and you realize that even though you've achieved all these things, sometimes you're still looking. Huh. You know, what am I here for? Like, who am I? I love it. Uh, that's the voice of Sarah Chan. If you're joining us, if you're listening to this on the podcast or the or the Mixler live streaming audio presented by California Closets, uh, Sarah, you're, you're obviously well known in Edmonton, a musician, a teacher, a social advocate. You have graced the pages of Edify's Top 40 Under 40. Uh, you wrote for the Gateway Arts and Entertainment section um, from 98 to 02. At that time, you were, you were covering the beat that, the, that you love to this day, classical and opera. Yeah, it was pretty niche. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part about university publications and newspapers though is that the editors i was one myself out on the west coast you're always so grateful that you have contributors and a lot of times you're just like write whatever you want i need to fill pages and my stuff was always on time <laughs> that's amazing you, <laughs> yeah, right. you would have been the outlier yes, in, I was. in our project <laughs> hey um well i want to i want to get into this with each of you and, and and we'll welcome each of you officially and and get kind of specific on this but jen the book kind of opens here with a survey mm -hmm. and i would love if we could get into it and i know that the audience would yeah. appreciate it as well because it it gives us some insight into into sort of what everybody's all about and and basically who are we do you want to here let oh, me hand this by the I, way I'm the book there, itself yeah. people can see it on on youtube we're showing it but can we talk about the book itself it feels like it was printed in the 50s it's like oh, yeah. beautiful hardcover they don't it feels like you don't see books like this a lot anymore. No, this is like one of those masterpiece lifetime tomes that you will keep on your mahogany in your mahogany bookcase. Totally, in your, in your all with all your leather bound books. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's got a beautiful silver foiled cover that was um, illustrated by uh, Raymond Biesinger, who did our last book. Too. Absolutely beautiful job, yeah, and it's, it's kind of this timeless design. Exactly. So take us into who are the contributors of midlife? Just under forty two years of age on average. Oh my God! Yes, fifty six percent of them have children. 19% have never married. 44% were once roommates with another contributor. 
Mm. I know, right? Uh, 59% own a home, and home is in quotation marks. So I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, 41% rent a hovel. Uh, 26% change their bed sheets weekly, or so they say. Weekly? And, yeah. <laughs> and 44% think Egon is the greatest bus- Ghostbuster. Oh. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to visit. Johnny, do you, is your pop culture knowledge leveled up strong enough that you could have a favorite Ghostbuster? I, I'm going to go Spangler. Oh. Yeah. Hey, Johnny on the spot. <laughs> Yeah, you could offer me a million dollars. I wouldn't be able to come up with one of the names. Uh, 59% own homes. I wonder if that's below or above what the national average would be for a 40 for an average 42 year old person. 59% in home ownership. Does that feel high to you? Well, I feel like home ownership numbers to state that the obvious we talk about it lots on the show are going down and down and down and down and down. Right. right. So if you talk maybe to like, what would the question be if you talk to current U of A students and said, in 20 years, do you think you will own a home? I wonder if 59% would say yes. I doubt it. I, I doubt it too. Yeah. yeah. You have you have kids that are like flirting with the teenage years and young adulthood. Hey, Dexter and Alice. I That's, do, yes. Yeah. Pre-teens. Does Dexter talk about things like, like home ownership and stuff like that? He does, but in a strange context. It's all about trying to uh, get his grandparents to like gift one to him, oh, which is smart a, it, which is an, smart, but an entirely different level of privilege. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. But I think that's how people own homes. It's like intergenerational yes. wealth now, right? Yeah. You get help from people. Yeah. Um, my first place, my dad had to co-sign with me. I didn't get that mortgage by myself, right? yeah, because I was a nobody. Yeah. Well, it sort of feels like if you don't have help these days, how the hell are you doing it, right? Yeah. Um, let's officially say hi to Neil Parr. Neil, I've, I've got my back turned to you, literally not on purpose. No, worries. I owe you an apology. <laughs> All good. Uh, you wrote news, entertainment reviews, and features. That's right. Uh, when you were at the Gateway uh, at that time, an aspiring child psychologist, you pivoted to journalism in grad school. Uh, you lived in a few different countries before uh, returning to Treaty Six territory, which you call home now, uh, where you support the Sick Kids Foundation, Community Foundations of Canada, and, and your partner along with with your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, this must be an exciting project for you to take part in. It was actually it was eerie timing. Jen and Sarah reached out just a couple of weeks after my partner had asked me unprompted, what if we move back to Edmonton? And we'd been away for about two decades at that time. And uh, I think just the sandwich of COVID, not seeing our parents for so long, the challenges of trying to parent at home and school from home and be everything that your your kids need at a young age. At that time, they were sort of three and five-ish. They've since grown, but it was a lot. And it wasn't something in my head. I always sort of thought success meant leaving Alberta, not being in Edmonton, that to prove yourself, you really had to sort of take what my parents did as immigrants and sort of transcend in a different direction. And so I ended up thinking a lot about it and using this essay as a way to sort of process in real time all those feelings and thoughts and reasons why we should go back, why we shouldn't. And so kind of emerge from that moment. Your essay titled No Place at All. Mm -hmm. uh, And it opens, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, dear Nadia, yet your mom recently stunned me with the following question. What if we move? Mm -hmm. And it just put you into a wind wobble in a way. It got your brain working. Can can, can you take us into it? Yeah, I mean, part of it actually was just what we were discussing was the idea of housing and affordability. So our parents had come after 15 months with lockdowns and our concerns about vaccinations at COVID. And so they finally show up and we realize they've aged quite a bit. We have this tall, skinny row house, no bathroom or bedroom on the main floor. Mm -hmm. And so my partner and I didn't even ask them. We just thought, let's start looking around for a more physically accessible home in case they want to come and spend more time with us. Or we feel like we want to ask them for us to start taking care of them, but they'll come to Toronto. When we approached them with the idea, they said, well, first of all, we're not going to leave Edmonton. We have our community here Mm -hmm. and sort of in a tongue in cheek way, how dare you think that we're just going to pick up and leave for you, right? To babysit basically. 
which frankly after COVID we were like, but why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> and so when we looked at the the housing costs in our neighborhood, even it had skyrocketed like triple, quadruple. And working at a nonprofit, my partner wasn't working at the time. There's no way we could have afforded that. And so that was also part of the equation of do we continue living the life that we are far away? Or come back and, and maybe look at housing a bit differently and sense of place and belonging differently as well. Huh. Now you ha you have uh, a unique uh, perspective inherently baked in, as does anybody based on their upbringing and based on their lived experience. But as the child of immigrants to Canada, you automatically have an interesting perspective, mm -hmm. right? And pe people often talk about this: how first generation Canadians or second generation Canadians or immigrants to Canada, new Canadians, uh, view opportunities, view challenges, view the importance of community and culture and connection. Was that apparent to you, like as a young person or as a young man when you were at the Gateway? Uh, how did that sort of manifest itself uh, when you're putting this essay together, or even right now as you're talking to us? Yeah, it's interesting. I've thought a lot about it because I grew up in Wetaskiwin before I got to the Gateway, and the Gateway was the first time I really felt like a sense of that connection and community. There were these fellow weirdos and creatives and people who really could see a success, uh, successful career uh, in the arts. And so when I decided to switch from psychology to journalism, I actually didn't tell my parents at all. I would freelance on the side and I would you know, apply to graduate school programs. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, you know, how could I do this? And so our friends really at the Gateway kind of allowed that opportunity to emerge. Amazing. Um, Jennifer, you were a Gateway News Editor yeah. from 01 to 03, as well as, no big deal, Alberta Bureau Chief for the Canadian University Neil Press. Neil was too. Neil was too? Yeah. Neil, you got to put that in your bio so yeah, I, I, should. I can give you the props that you deserve. Jen was much better at it than me. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, well, why don't we, just I think people would be interested to hear, what is the Canadian University Press oh. for people that don't know? Uh, it still exists, right? <laughs> um, it may not. I don't think it does. Oh, it I looked. Does? Bye yeah. bye. <gasps> Cup. It was basically like a wire service for um for newspaper for student newspapers, and it was established like as a collective. We all paid into it, and you they would write stories. Newspapers would write stories across the country, and they would submit to this national service who would distribute, which was like a lot harder to do before the internet. Oh yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So were so, you was would you take time away from full time studies, or were you doing this concurrent with your completing I was doing a degree this concurrently while I was completing my degree? I would work. I would go to school half time during the year, and then I would take summer courses so that I was able to complete my degree on time on time i mean i don't know what that means really <laughs> who knows yeah exactly but yeah i would do that i would did like three courses a year i worked at the gateway and i also did that alberta bureau chief thing for one year and so neil I was also that think, he's yeah. well and christy tucker was the first of all of us right. i think she did it twice nice yeah. shout out yeah. uh you now a project manager with the city of vancouver that's right which I is am. very cool uh, a master's degree in journalism from ubc yeah um take us into your piece i, I love this lessons in letting go i think if, if, if you asked Every single person that's going to listen to this or watch this uh, to talk, to speak to lessons in letting go over the past three years, everybody would probably have their own context probably. in that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Oh, I think so. And it was really a, like a like a, as I'm thinking about it, it was a meditation on like what is enough for a person? What is enough? Because I think well, I mean, the world we live in and the way that our social media and et cetera, it always is always telling you that you're not enough or that you don't have enough or that there's something that you need. And uh, that really kind of dovetailed with the meditation on the, the housing market. I mean, I, I live in Vancouver and, um, uh, you know, for the last 20 ish years, we've been having the same housing issues that I think people are now experiencing. Lucky for the rest of Canada. And, and um, yeah, it really makes you think, like, what is it that you actually need to live a good life? Um, because if you can't have that home that you buy, are, are you somehow not enough? Like, do you not have enough? Are you somehow missing out? And, uh, you know, it took a while to think about that and really process it. There's, 
you know, stages of anger and grief and et cetera. But um, yeah, it really helped me think about like, what is it actually I need to live live well in, in midlife? Uh, and also kind of paired that with a whole bunch of like smaller letting goes that happened in my life, which also contributed to that same thing about like items that I had in my home. Like I discovered a whole bunch of pens that I'd bought when I was like 21. And I was like, these are going to be my forever pen. I'm going to yeah. have these forever. And uh, they're so great to write with. And I love it. And uh, and then I put them in a box and I never looked at them again. You know what I mean? Like things that you do think you have you a forever pen now. Oh, uh, I sort of do. But I've decided I've started to realize that you, there is no forever pen. There's the just ah. now pen, you know? No, so, you, yeah. no, you're, you're speaking directly to me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is my forever pen. Oh, my God. Yes. Would you like to hold it? The, the, the zebra Sarasa, the, the 0. 0.7 oh, millimeter. Yes. Uh, I'm uh, so with a 0.38. Yeah, right yeah. With a 0.38? It's no, much no. too fine. Japanese, it's the way to go. Okay, and the Japanese, I'm going to say, are so much more dialed in on design than I ever would be. So maybe I should take. But but this is my comfort zone. Yeah, that that Sarasa point seven, and and when that starts to run out, Johnny can tell you I've got a drawer full of them here. You have two right here. Yeah, and there's more. I mean, you can take like I'm not joking. No, I have them in my coats. I have them in my pants pockets. I have them. Sometimes they'll 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 snap and they'll get ink all over my shirt. But I don't blame the pen. It's my I'm I have a but but I have a I I need lessons in letting go. I have a hard time letting go. I call myself a collector. My wife calls me a hoarder. Like I don't throw out t-shirts. I don't throw out socks, even if they're, you know, orphaned. Like I I, I don't know. And I love, can I read some of your words back to you? Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. Oh, boy. Um, You talk about how you had learned in school the central economic principle of scarcity. Uh, And then you talk about as as a, you know, a 30-something living in Vancouver. You said, I thought I could always find a way to get what I wanted, but it turned out there were hard limits, money, power, connections, and the luck of being born in the right place in time trumped my ability to buy a home in the city I loved. The result, a sense of deep grief and loss combined with mind-splitting rage. I bet so many people can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's funny being having lived in Vancouver and seeing it process across the country now because I'm like, you guys are where we were like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it feels terrible. It does. But then you start to realize, like, what is it that I want? Is the home the thing that makes me happy? When I look back on my life, I lived a lot of times in rental apartments, right? And I'm like, I don't think about the status of the rental apartment. I think about my family and my friends and the experiences I had and the memories we made. And I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't matter. That's not what you're going to take take to your deathbed. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Can I can I say also like yeah. it's a it's a heavy word to use and I'm not mm-hmm. aiming it at you uh at all of us, but also like to confront the entitlement that we may feel. Yeah. Like, you know, some people right now in the housing thing, um I think for for a lot of people and and entitlement might be a loaded word, but for a lot of people that dream was always there yeah. like it's I'm right. supposed to have yeah. when I graduate from my parents in domicile, I'm supposed to have my own place. Yeah. And sure. the challenges here that that, that not, and it's not just young people. No. It's like families. It's it's elderly yeah. people on fixed income. The housing crisis is kind of impacting so many people. And yeah. and and I love how you wrote so honestly about the emotion that yeah. it invoked. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you got really honest. Uh, anybody oh, yeah. that that follows you on Instagram or anything like that knows how much you love being in the mountains. And you decide to write about the gondola. <laughs> oh yeah, take us gondola. onto the gondola. Oh well, it was a an adventure in uh, being more newly divorced and a. Single mother, so sadly not an original story. But well, there's a lot of single moms out there. And uh, but then I decided I wanted to do something fun with the kids, something new. And I never skied before, 
And so I thought, ooh, lots of people ski, let's do that. And then so, um, yes, I, I'm a very organized person, got the stuff, we went and did the stuff. And uh, it's the gondola is about taking the kids skiing on a mountain for the first time. And uh, in a somewhat misguided choice, uh, <laughs> taking the gondola, it, it, which goes to the very top of the mountain. I guess most people know this. I didn't. And um, then there was a <laughs> snowstorm. There was a st- weather changed really quickly and all sorts of things happened. But it's about how we got down. And it was pretty scary. I'm a new skier too. So, you know, my, my kids are looking to me to to guide them and to, you know, actually one of them asked me if I could ski with them, like holding them between my legs like these other parents. And I'm like, you guys are both taller than me. That's not happening. <laughs> this is not going to happen. If only I could. We would love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, we are already in a precarious enough situation. So we all did get down safely, but it's about uh, the process of making choices. And, you know, while I was on that mountain, I, I kept thinking if this was me with my parents, what would they have done and mm. I would have been berated probably like verbally abused maybe physically abused and I'm like none of those things despite being very scared and feeling very alone up here uh and nothing none of that's going to get us down any faster um it, it's interesting so you talk about at, at the time when you're you're heading up skiing or or you're writing this and you say you know you're relatively newly divorced yeah. I thought it was interesting Jen in the um the survey there was it 19 percent never married mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting i'd be com- interested to see how that stacks up with with you know the sort of the average um you know we know statistic i don't know what the 2023 statistic is but approximately we say you know half of marriages end in divorce um at, at midlife at this stage to bring together all of these people so many people have experienced love and mm-hmm. life and loss and yeah. and tragedy and and new birth and and all of these things right like everyone's bringing um, this lived experience to the table in a way that none of you possibly could have back at the gateway in the 90s and the early 2000s. We were just kids. I think between the first book and the second book, we've had um, uh, one of one of our contributors had twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Adam's father passed away since. Yeah, Adam um, Rosenhart. Yeah, right. he wrote in the first one and he's in the second one as well. And like a lot of things have happened. We lived a lot of life over COVID. Yeah, yeah really amazing. So uh, how is how is this process? And, and, and in just a couple of minutes, we're going to check in with with uh, three more of your colleagues, with uh, Erica Thorkelson, Dave Alexander, and Neil Ozano. Um, ask them the same questions and some different ones as well. But how is this process, Jen? Um, and, and by the way, I, I should note that Jen and Sarah, you also are the editors of yes. this project, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. So you've taken yeah. on a little bit more of the heavy yeah. lifting. Um, how is this experience different in 2.0 in the second book than the first? It took a lot longer. The first really? one was four months, lightning in a bottle, you know? And this one was like 18, like really drawn out and uh, very different. We weren't like um, as connected as well in the same way that we were the first time because the first time was like under lockdown no one could leave their homes all of us were writing to each other on the internet all the time and then the world opened up and so people had other things to do and uh which was fine you know obviously we want the world to be open but it changed the experience of how we were writing together um and the work is still great and i think the connection is still there but it was just different and we like to call it like it's like having a first child and a second child the, the has the same dna but it's a different child completely you yeah. might know something about that yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be part of the reason yeah. why my voice is a little banged up right now there's no rest but it's like you know everybody talks about how like the days are long but the years are short yeah. and that's so very true mm-hmm. so how, do, how this this relationship with your parents and the 
business like this this kind of uh, I, I love that uh, you know they they inform you they remind you we're not going anywhere we're not <laughs> right. we're not leaving we're our own people and then here you are so did, did you find that to this day you know your relationship with your parents uh continues to sort of like shape you or influence you how how has your relationship with your parents evolved from when you were a young man uh when you were writing at the gateway and then now when you've got you know kids of your own yeah i think in the past i really saw it as i needed to establish my own identity become successful and whatever that looked like and it was sort of this endless race the bar would have always moved and so now it's different now there's sort of a settling in an appreciation of who they are who i am with them and just sort of an ease that comes i think with with midlife and a little bit of this anxiety that can leave us when we really lean into those relationships and just watching them i was there the other week and my kids were loving just being there we lived with them for about eight months while our house was being built and by the time we left, the kids were like, why did we stay so long? Why didn't we just stay in Toronto? There's a lot of angst. And then this year now, my daughter was asking them, can I move back in with you? Like they just, they love that connection or they really dislike the one with me. So either way, I'll take it. It's, it's a great place to be. In. My brother and his wife uh, just moved in. Well, they just moved out. They just bought a new house. Uh, but, but they had that sort of in-between time where they moved in with their two young girls and with my parents. It was reminding us. When we did that, moved in with my dad's parents uh, for a number of months while we were waiting for a house to be ready for our family in, mm. in the early 90s. And I look back and I can remember like the smell of the basement where my yeah. temporary bedroom was yeah. uh, coming up to the breakfast table and, and being with grandma and grandpa and, and, and not knowing at the time I was I was a young I was like 11 or 12 or something. But but like not knowing like to cherish it. Yeah. But but now how those are such cherished memories, you know, they're gone and mm. and it's just like some Something that I'll always be so grateful for that that snippet in time. Yeah. And how much more rewarding is that than any degree or accolade you might get along the way? Right. Yeah. I think realizing that sooner is always easier. And it, it took me long enough, but I'm, I'm lucky I have a second chance. Not everybody gets that. So yeah. this is sort of our, our second chance at life back in Alberta. Are you uh, are you I should know the answer to this, but are you hosting events or is there a way that people can, I know there's gatewaybook.ca is oh, midlife book midlife book. Jeez, I mean, yeah, my brain is midlifebook.ca. If people want it, they can order copies of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have a launch party coming up uh, on November 25th, hey, which is, is tomorrow. Um, uh, so this is the uh, second you've, you've said the final it's on the record the final anthology oh, yeah i'm not you doing let this everybody know you, there will be no midlife <laughs> no. number three it's like that accidental no. third kid that comes yeah, 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 yeah. we have That's to go right. live somewhere exactly nine years from now we'll have you back here and, and we'll be in our third studio yes. we'll, we'll, we'll have leveled exactly. up one more time yeah. so more it launched so it officially yeah. launches today thank you for being with us on launch morning by yeah. the way we really appreciate that um and uh and uh 27 uh, including you, former members of the Gateway, the student newspaper at the U of A, all coming together. Um, you can buy it. We recommend at the Glass Bookshop at Audrey's Books. Those are our favorite bookstores. You can buy the ebook as well. It's all uh, your website, by the way, is just beautifully done. You did a really my nice. David. Is that right? Is yeah. he a designer? Uh, no, he is he, a he's architect. <laughs> well, okay. With your dabbles in, in he da uh, architects in know what they're doing. Thing, yeah. yeah. Well, the website's nice and clean. Midlifebook.ca. People can attend the launch party if they like. I can't, you know. Has this pulled out of the woodwork people that you never thought you'd hear from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A whole bunch of people turned out that I know actually know you and bought tickets to tomorrow. So Is I'm excited right? to see Great. them. Yeah, Krishna. Oh, that'll um, be fun. My mother-in-law. For the first book. Oh, right. Okay. So for the first book, my grade four teacher reached out to me and she was like, I'm really? so proud of you. Oh, so yeah. Sweet. She was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, Mr. Klaparczyk. It's She's like, like yeah. you know, it's like, uh, whatever. I'm not a philosopher, but I it's like planting trees. I bet being like a, a grade one or two or three or four teacher, right? Yeah. Where you don't really see until like 
little Jenny Pavlano yeah. comes, out, comes out in midlife and publishes this book and she probably remembers you in grade four. Yeah, right? exactly. And, you know, what a cool experience yeah. for a teacher. Well, thank you to the three of you for joining. You guys want to hang out in here and, and, and hang out in the green room and, yeah. and hear your colleagues chime in? Oh, and, we can. Yeah. And hey, if they're like, if they're behaving too well and there's something that they're not talking about and you need, you want to give me like a zinger to throw him, a fastball to throw him, you just pop your head in. Amanda yeah? told Dave he has to wear clothes. Dave, Dave has to wear clothes. David Alexander, you better be wearing okay, clothes. Okay, or at yeah. least keep his camera like torso, yeah. torso <laughs> level. Okay, good stuff. That's uh, Jen Pavlano, Neil Parmar, and Sarah Chan three of the 27 contributors uh, to midlife number two and you can learn more at midlifebook.ca we'll talk to erica dave and neil coming up in just a quick second but first i wanted to remind you that friesen brothers this weekend has you covered families look at this i say friesen brothers and everybody's eyes just light up you must be excited about the one coming to west edmonton Woo! that's gonna be opening we're not allowed to say exactly when but but spring 2024 it'll be location number 17 there's 16 of them alberta owned alberta grown friesen brothers has you covered at times where we know the wallets are feeling a little lighter. Everybody's trying to stretch their dollars. I want to recommend you go to Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N and check out the Family Essentials Flyer. It's not just quality food for low prices every day. Yeah, it is that, but they've also got awesome recipes. And so if you're looking for stuff like comfort food, they've got great pulled pork recipes, hamburger recipes, stew, all kinds of stuff. You'll find it all in the Family Essentials Flyer at Friesen.com. Hey, Johnny, you know, we had lunch with uh, Kelly from Complete Care Restoration yesterday. He had been listening to the show. We were talking about EVs and yeah. he told me something. He said, he said, you can use our advertising time on Friday if you want to tell this story. So get this. You and I were talking about the electric pickup the other day. Of okay, course, yeah. so Complete Care Restoration, the Lightning, the F one fifty. So Complete Care has like they have like one hundred and twenty five employees, so they don't have one hundred and twenty five EVs. But earlier this year in March, okay, they bought mm-hmm. six EVs. Amazing. Six of them. They've bought four chargers. So six EVs and four chargers over eight months. They've saved $38,000 in fuel. That's incredible. But I thought you were going to tell us we were getting free lightning. <laughs> so I'm going to say that's awesome, but I'm a little let down. <laughs> okay. $38,000 <000 laughs> in fuel amazing. they've yeah. saved on just six <laughs> EVs. We love the team at Complete Care Restoration. Most we love that they're streaming Real Talk live in their shop, although we know that their team's all out working hard. We're proud to do business with them. Construction, renovation, helping people get back on their feet after fire and flood. You can find them online at completecarestoration.ca. If your project for home improvement is focusing more on the outdoors and you want shovels in the ground in spring, then this is a perfect time to get in touch with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Why? Because number one, the design process takes a bit of time. They want to get it perfect. And number two, if they're going to procure special construction materials, the types of installations that are going to set your project apart because of the supply chain, sometimes they're going to need a few extra weeks. So it's a great time right now to reach out, get the conversation started with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're talking about midlife 2.0. 
And right now, an opportunity to check in with three additional contributors. Neil, you're good to go. Don't worry about it, buddy. Nobody cares. You can just walk right in front of them. We're just chilling right now. These three are going to go hang out in the lounge. Amanda, you deserve a shout out as well. We got contributors, people behind the scenes. I love the energy in the studio right now. But we're going to go to a Zoom roundtable for 2.0 as we say hello to Erica Thorkelson, Dave Alexander, and Neil Ozano. Dave, you've already passed your first test. You showed up wearing clothes today. There appeared to be some question whether or not you were going to be on your best behavior, but but we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. I'm glad they turned me into a character who doesn't wear clothes, but that's, that's the friendships that we have. Is that, is that based on your legacy uh, when you were the Gateways Arts and Entertainment Editor, then Editor-in-Chief when you were at the U of A? Um, no, I know HR was a whole different world back then, but no. No. Um, you were uh, earning your degree in film and media studies at the time, yeah? Uh, before moving to Toronto and, and kicking off your career, uh, which runs to this day. Uh, you're working as a producer, writer, and director? Uh, yes, that's correct. Although the reason I came out here was to work at a magazine, um, and I ran that for a while as editor-in-chief. And then, as we all kind of know, the um, publishing industry took a bit of a dive. Yeah, no kidding. You've seen it all. Uh, I want to get into that in just a little bit, but but let's welcome your your co-panelists. Uh, Erica Thorkelson, it's great to have you here on the show. Uh, a settler of, of Icelandic, French, and English heritage. Uh, you're coming to us live from Vancouver, uh, where you live, uh, formerly the arts and entertainment editor at The Gateway, and uh, right now a writer and instructor at arguably uh, one of the coolest spots in the entire country for creators the emily carr university of art and design did you always dream of being there uh no no it was a a real surprise for me actually i love teaching um i'm i wanted to be a writer i did an mfa in creative writing and then i tried to be a freelance writer for a few years and i uh ran out of money pretty quickly <laughs> and uh and so I, I was like what else can I do with this uh this skill because I taught in Japan I taught ESL for a while um and I I ended up uh working at the writing center at Emily Carr and then they gave me classes and now I teach a humanities class and I teach creative writing and it's like it's a dream the students are the coolest people I I observe them in order to feel cool myself like I don't actually try to be as cool as them that would be a foolish right. errand for somebody who's in her mid 40s um but but I I love working with them and they energize me so much constantly and they make me think about writing in ways that I had never really thought about it before we, we were just talking to to Jen Pablano uh, in a different context about what what it would be like to be an elementary school teacher and then to see your former students grow up and flourish and 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 you know produce their own incredible writing but but you must see that as well even over the course of of working with students uh, some of them probably probably discover through the process of post-secondary that maybe there's some brilliance beneath the surface that they didn't know existed. Oh yeah. I mean, watching them, I teach a lot of first years, so I get them when they're really like fresh and then watching them, uh, seeing them in the hallways and, and, and sometimes I teach them two or three years in a row, um, and seeing how they grow into themselves as, as artists, as designers, um, and then seeing their work, because we have, you know, we have big art and, uh, exhibitions that happen every year. And so I, I see their work year after year and I see it on the wall and I'm like, oh, I knew that one. Oh, this is so much better than what they were doing in first year. You know, like it's uh, it's really amazing to watch them expand and grow. And like, I, I don't know. 
like you were right to say like it's it's like planting a seed you never really know exactly what you give them that's going to be taken up later on um but it is it's an honor to to know that that's part of the mix that creates who they become later i love it um neil welcome to the show joining us from your car what part of the country are you in right now i am currently in uh windsor nova scotia Wow, very cool. You have one of my favorite bios in the whole book, and I think I read them all. Uh, I want to read this. Neil Lozano, the millennium-ending editor-in-chief of The Gateway, after prehistoric stints editing and managing news um, and years of volunteering. You've worked in some capacity for the CBC, Post Media, Frank Magazine in Nova Scotia, The Coast in Halifax, and as you write, a bunch of other bankrupt and shuttered things. Uh, do you need to own that, or were you a victim of trends like many others of us? I These ships were sinking by the time I got to them. Yeah. My, uh, the day I started journalism school was uh, probably three or four years before three or four years after anyone with any indi- any idea what was going on should have known that everything was going south did you like did you i, I had this kind of experience so i've told this story i always dreamed of being a six o'clock news anchor that was what i wanted to be since i was like 11 years old and uh for me it was always strange because as my career in television was coming up I couldn't ignore the fact that the whole thing was coming down and it was a really weird place to be because you realize you're on this trajectory toward kind of like ultimately a, a pretty dismal outlook. But at the same time, it's what I had always wanted to do and I couldn't quite tear myself away from it and just stifle or kill the dream. How did you reconcile that yourself? Well, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the places that I was at, uh, just sort of caved in around me. So regardless of what I wanted and how I wanted it all to go, like uh, as I joined, as I joined the teams at these places, they I either was lost to layoffs or to, or to overwhelming amounts of work that led to dismissal. Like it, it's it's never been an easy industry. And by the time I got there, it was. It was for the absurdly passionate who were willing to be broke. And uh, that uh, eventually that was not me. And I mean, I was I would hang on as long as I could. But eventually, at one point, we had to move back to Edmonton. And the uh, I didn't even look for a journalism job when we got there. I went directly to um, construction, residential uh, framing. And... Uh, and have not left construction since then because there's been absolutely no work in the uh, in the journalism industry for anyone who doesn't want to for anyone who wants a normal life, really. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and I want to get into what you write about because th- th- it has correlations to a whole bunch of the stuff you've already talked about. But I'd love to pick your brain for a second. And maybe all three of you. I mean, you're all storytellers. Um, you know, all three of you. We see journalism basically. And I hate putting it this way. But like, let's just say we see the current or the traditional model of journalism dying on the vine. I don't like saying journalism's dying on the vine because there's so many talented people that understand the importance of the fourth estate. They understand the importance of journalism. But I don't know if you tried, and we've done it on the show, try to pin people down and say, 
forecast for us what the future of journalism or news media looks like. And and I'm not sure, maybe aside from stuff like what we're doing, that people can really boldly say, here's the model that's going to work. Like, do you have an, an inclination of what that might look like? So uh, for I, as I've been watching, like at one point I ran um, an online uh, an online news site. And at the time, 2011, I was like, fantastic. This is going great. We have a lot of traffic for a startup and uh, the stories are A plus and uh, nobody has figured out the advertising model yet. So as soon as our investors and the other curious money dumpers disappear, we are dead. And uh, and it was never figured out. And that was the last real editing journalism job that I was part of. The rest have been either peripheral marketing or uh, I did a little bit of media monitoring for uh, a company run through post media and things like that. But it was all either freelance or pathetic. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, that for a long, long time. By 2014, I had not had a full-time job in journalism for almost four years. Wow. Dave, what was it like for you coming up in film? Was there, like, it's, you, you see people, obviously, like, there's so many incredibly talented screenwriters and directors and, 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 and like, creators, I mean, editors, everybody that's part of the process that nobody would ever know their name and then there are some directors where everybody knows their name. It's a career that's full of moonshots and, and for some people, dreams that are broken. Some people create for the purpose of creating. Some try everything that they can do to get down to California. Some work proudly and work all the time in Canada. Uh, how did you sort of navigate your journey? Uh, you, I mean, you definitely have to be a bit of a masochist because you're taking punches all the time and you live in a world of frustration and you're always on a roller coaster where you've got things that you're pitching and maybe it gets close. Um, I had a documentary that was <clears throat> ready to go and then Netflix put out a show that did an episode that was basically what we were going to do. And so all that work just died overnight. Uh, and then you've got an industry that changes so fast in terms of tastes and technology and, uh, you know, in Canada, where government money is going to go. And so there's all these elements that make it very, very difficult to put things together. And then, you know, you also, you're also up against stuff like, we want to do the same thing that's been done before. So give us a variation on this existing property or right. we want an adaptation, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, it's just this, this world that's very complex and can be very frustrating. And what they say is the people that succeed in it, generally it's just because they stick it out and they are really stubborn. And luckily I'm pretty stubborn. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I would love to get into uh, your pieces, your features in midlife, uh, midlife number two. Um, and Erica, um, I've, I've heard of this Vancouver neighborhood of Shaughnessy. Uh, anybody across Canada that pays attention to stories of, of outrageously priced uh, real estate listings has heard of Shaughnessy. This is where you can find the $25, $30 million houses uh, in one of Vancouver's most desired neighborhoods. And you live right near there. And it inspired your essay. You want to take us into it? Yeah. Um, so I 
I actually like I grew up with housing insecurity. I grew up in like housing projects and uh, and like townhouses. Um, and so when I moved to Vancouver, it was uh, a bit of a like a, a bit of a, a shock, the level of like wealth that you would exist next to. And so I live in this apartment. It's a lovely apartment. Like it's not big by Edmonton standards, but it's like massive by Vancouver standards. It's an older building um, and I love it. It's got hardwood floors, you know, it's got all the touches of like a classic uh, 1940s building, but like a five minute walk away are these mansions, like, like full on mansions that take up like massive amounts of space. And there's a housing crisis. You were talking to Jen about it before, like people are living in the streets, people are desperate to find rentals. And, um, and so I, I wrote about the, the sort of surreal feeling of, of like going for walks through a neighborhood that is so unbelievably wealthy that people don't even seem to exist inside of it. Like, it's like living next to a ghost town, but it's like the most comfortable ghost town that has ever existed. And like, the only people I run into on the streets are people who work for the people who own the houses. Um, and so I have this like, hyperactive imagination where I imagine like ghosts or the houses themselves being like figures themselves. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, I talk about literary stuff. Um, it's, yeah, uh, it's something that I have thought about for a long time. And I think about it all the time, like I'm boring. I'm boring for how much I love to talk about the what goes on in Shaughnessy. Like just recently, Vancouver City Hall uh, tried to um, talk about densifying Shaughnessy and they, they shut it down. Like they, 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 pu they put out a motion and they won't even talk about densifying Shaughnessy. Meanwhile, they're talking about densifying uh, like all around transit hubs, which includes my neighborhood. So like my building could be demolished before they even consider allowing people to make rentals in Shaughnessy, which mm. blows my whole mind. I feel like these stories are happening like that. That would, that's certainly a high profile one because it's one of, I mean, probably with average property values, it's, it's arguably the most expensive neighborhood in Canada. Right. I think maybe like Oakville, Ontario, maybe has one. There's a few in Vancouver, West Van, North Van. But but like Shaughnessy is renowned. Uh, but every city, like every major city is having these conversations. There's conversations like that happening right here in Edmonton uh, where people are blowing gaskets, uh, entertaining talk of, of zoning changes and bylaw changes and densification and infill. Uh, people are concerned um, the, the proponents of status quo are concerned that the, the, the heritage of the neighborhood or the vibe of the neighborhood is going to be interrupted, right? Nobody wants the densification next door to their heritage home. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting, too, because the houses that are currently being built in Shaughnessy look like historical houses. They don't look like they're not bright new mansions. They're like they're Victorian mansions so it's it's as if they're they're sort of creating this bubble around the neighborhood where they're living in a, a much earlier time while the rest of the city struggles even to like like uh build something that's over 500 square feet like you hear about these micro apartments that keep being built and that's the that's the solution for densification um is that people should live in smaller and smaller apartments um, it's it's super complex and yeah it's it's everywhere it's been going on for a long time here in Vancouver but it, it it's happening in every city this like 
difference between wealth and and poverty. It's just particularly noticeable in Vancouver because we have a neighborhood where the average housing price is thirty three million dollars or something like like higher over thirty three million now. Mm. Um, it's strange. Wild. Um, I, can I read some of your writing to you for the benefit of the audience? I love this. Uh, still living in Vancouver. I find it hard to escape the question of how much a person needs. The people in the mansion seem to need so much space. They need great lawns that require armies of landscapers. They need pools and verandas, though I have never once seen a person swimming or lazing in an easy chair with a book. Sometimes it angers me how much space they have that goes unused. And I think about what it would be like to take it from them. But how do you stay angry when the air is so calm and the leaves are so very green. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's hard to deny. You get you get kind of caught up in the the magic of this space, and I can understand on a on a certain level wanting to protect that magic, that like that 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 beauty. I I I took a video and um shared it, or that I'll will be sharing with the book where I just walk around the neighborhood reading from the essay and it's autumn and the leaves are golden and it's um it's really it, like it's a magical place but it needs to it can't it can't it can't continue like this can't continue uh yeah i don't i'd be curious to know you know what you know the wildest things is the most expensive houses are always the ones that have no mortgages on them too those are always the ones that were paid for in cash um uh, we've got kimberly in our live chat right now on youtube she says i went to a party in shaughnessy once kimberly we're gonna need more details we're gonna need you to follow up with a full description on who is there do you have any questions erica you want to ask kimberly in the live chat specifics you well, want to hear about well what I want to know is what she noticed about the house, because the one person that I have met who went into one of those houses told me that the construction was actually super cheap and she'd stayed there uh, as a guest, I think, and that that she noticed that none of the none of the corners were square uh -oh. and it drove her nuts. And <laughs> and so, like, I'd be curious to know about the quality of the actual construction. Neil is like, no, that's not right. I Neil, know you have feelings about that. Neil, Neil looks very concerned. Well, all of all of like when I did framing in Edmonton, all of the very, very big houses were done just as badly as the very small ones. It was a matter <laughs> of it was a matter of the crew that was on the job. It had nothing to do with the plans or the material. Hey, Neil, can you talk to us about scrap opportunities? I should I should mention your 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 uh, essay is titled That's Not Garbage. <laughs> um, it was it was a. I don't know. I liked the, I liked construction, but the part that really caught my attention for a while was the fact that a lot of material was going into the garbage. And even, even I, and once I had figured out that some of it had value, I figured out that some of the stuff on the side of the road had value sometimes too, like appliances or, or like I, I was never a bottle picker only because they're only five cents per can and bottle in Nova Scotia rather than 10 cents like in Alberta. But but uh, there's all sorts of material uh, on the side of the road. Anything made of metal is worth something. And I became obsessed for a while and uh, made a mess of my basement with it. And then uh, 
And then as I wrote, uh, some of it fell down and broke some other stuff in my basement and buried some other stuff. And I had to uh, clean it all up, cash it all in and get myself under control. <laughs> <laughs> Did it change your perspective, though, on everything like now? I mean, like I, uh, my my brother, he doesn't like my brother worked in construction for a lot of years and we'll be like, he'll come with me when I'm walking my dog, when we're visiting him down in Calgary. And he just, he's curious. He'll like, he'll like peer into a, a, a bin and be like, he's like, you have no idea how much all those off cuts are worth. Like all the wood that's in there. He blows his mind when things are getting tossed from construction sites, just because his brain, you can, you can almost hear him doing the math. When we were, uh, when I was in Edmonton, like working for larger companies, um, they, Cleaning up the site meant cleaning up the site. Everything that was left over went in the bin. Um, full length pieces of of lumber, which now are worth about four times what they were when I was when I first started in Alberta. After COVID, everything went crazy. During <clears throat> COVID, went crazy. But like, yeah, like electricians would be throwing wires in the garbage, leftover wire bits in the garbage, and uh, and all the ducting people would throw aluminum and tin in the garbage and uh like some of the the wires when stripped the copper wire when stripped is worth about five dollars a pound which is almost the same as hamburger on sale like it's ridiculous how much money is going in the garbage and uh and like for the longest time even as a kid i was worried about environmental stuff but like the fact that there was we found a little intersection between money going in my pocket and garbage going not in the garbage uh totally lit a fire under me for a while and 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 still like on the i'm currently working in nova scotia as in construction and i bought all of the wires from the uh company i work for that was tearing down three older houses um uh, with the intent of stripping them for massive profit and absurd amounts of work and also helping the planet yes of course that one too Th that one too also helping the planet um as as somebody who has a very difficult time throwing things out i'm talking about me um, I loved your piece and I loved how you talked about clutter and decluttering and, and how your brand uh, was not going to be that of a mega hoarder. And um, for anybody that that's resonating with, I would encourage them to pick up either the, the hardcover or the digital copy, the ebook of Midlife. You can read all these essays that we're talking about at midlifebook.ca. Hey, Dave, would, would you take us with the power of your storytelling to head smashed in Buffalo Jump? Would you take us there in particular for the people that have never been there so if you go south of calgary there's a unesco world heritage site called head smashed in buffalo jump and it's called that because there's a cliff and the indigenous people figured out a way to trap and funnel herds of bison over this cliff and they would die at the bottom and they the people would butcher them and it would sustain them um you know for but possibly months. It was a, a very, very important site. And it's an amazing archaeological site. The interpretive center there is fantastic. And if you stand up on top of that cliff, it's got one of the most beautiful views of the prairie. And that's where I found myself one day. I was in Calgary working on a film a couple falls ago. And I hadn't been to Head Smashed In since I was a kid. So I thought I'm going to take this Saturday. It's beautiful. I'm going to drive there by myself. 
I got there a couple hours before close, so it was very quiet. And I did the interpretive center, and then I went up on the cliff, and I just stood, and I I looked out, and I had this um, incredible moment <clears throat> where I thought about, uh, you know, how lucky I was to be there, how much space there was, especially coming from Toronto during a pandemic when a lot of people were trapped in tiny apartments, and the the depth of history that was there, and why why I had these these feelings about things, and and some of those things were. Um, were morbid. When, when I was a kid, I, I was fascinated by the idea that, you know, they were slaughtering all these animals. And I was fascinated by the idea that there used to be giant monsters called dinosaurs that lived in the place where I live. And it just, it gave me this um, amazing opportunity to, to reflect a little bit. And that was the seed of this essay. Amazing. Did you, did, did you see that coming? Like, is that for you? Are you a guy that typically on set or when you're scouting a location, are you, are you a little bit esoteric? Like, are you a guy that finds deep meaning often or, or were you caught off guard a little bit? I guess I was caught off guard a little bit, but I think I'm someone who thinks everyone should have those opportunities to self-reflect and try to find some deep meaning because when you hit midlife in particular, you start to go through this process where you're sort of vaulted forward in your life where suddenly the parents that took care of you, you might be taking care of them. Uh, or maybe they're they're dying. Uh, your kids might be growing up and, and leaving the house. And it has this effect on you where you start to really question what you're doing with your life, what you want, what's important to you. And I think that's a, a great thing. I think it causes a lot of anxiety. And I think people don't talk about that as much in terms of um, people at the midlife stage sort of having a lot of um, mental health issues because of that. But I know a lot of people that, uh, especially during COVID, they were just going through it. And a lot of it was sort of figuring out, what do I want to do with my life? What does it mean? Why is this important? And so I, I always encourage and I hope the essay encourages people to do the same. Um, just to, to think about the meaning in their own life. Um, Dave, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed. I don't quite know how to pronounce the title. of. Is it Prata Vitalis? I mean, your Latin is probably as good as mine. So let's say yes. <laughs> Prata Vitalis. Uh, basically, the, um, it's Latin for prairie vitality. Mm. And I was trying to search for uh, a word or a phrase that could describe what I was feeling because I had this this, this, just this feeling of overwhelming vitality. I felt so alive um, <clears throat> standing on that cliff that day. And then I sort of connected it back to my morbid interest. And, and people talk about, uh, you know, like my career is built a lot working in horror movies and doing journalism based around horror stuff. And people are like, well, why, why are you have such morbid interests? And the closer that we get to danger and death, the more vital we feel and you can connect those feelings to getting older and, and being in midlife as well so I was looking for a way to, to tie those threads together 
Well, you do it beautifully. Um, I loved all three of your essays, and I'm really grateful. This is so neat to have three of you joining us from three different provinces. There's four provinces conversing right now, which is really great. These are some of our favorite Real Talk roundtables. Um, I want to thank all of you for making time for us this morning. Special shout out to you, Erica. You woke up early on the West Coast. <laughs> I mean, this was this was easy for Dave and Neil. They're on like their sixth coffee already. Um, but but for all three of you, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting with. Neil Ozano, Dave Alexander, and Erica Thorkelson, all three of them contributors to Midlife Number Two. Have a wonderful weekend to the three of you, and congratulations on the book. Oh, I love it. You You guys are holding up. Those are such beautiful hard covers. Um, A shout out again to the designers. You can order your own. Get this book on your shelf. I guarantee you're going to love these essays. And and if you're like me, I mean, I love these little snippets. Each one of them is like, you know, you can can read them in five minutes. And um, the insights are all over the place, all cool uh, observations, some of them related to the pandemic, some of them personal growth, some of them rooted in challenge. I mean, just really, really, as you can see from this roundtable and where we've gone and what we've learned. And, and I can even just see in the live chat people having so much fun with this. Um, we didn't. Did we hear back on Johnny what, what the, the house party was like in Shaughnessy I from Kimberly? <laughs> I don't know. if she. I did see that. She's oh, she says, I worked for years in fine dining in Vancouver. This is Kimberly in follow up. She says outside the restaurant, there are always Bentleys, Rolls Royces, Ferrari. What's the plural of Rolls Royces? Royces? Rolls Rice? I believe it's Rosés. Rolls Rosés. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. It's not our it's wheelhouse. Fun to hear you say. Ferraris. Uh, Kimberly says the old money in Vancouver is ooh is incestuous. It's crazy. Incestuous. Even 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 twenty. I was there in two thousand one to two thousand eight. Yeah. It was just I felt the same way as Erica. Like I would look across at North Van. We would drive over there because that's where all the pretty houses were. Uh-huh. We uh-huh. We, knew, we knew Justin Timberlake had a summer home there. Oh, yeah. And just looking at it, and it, there was no one anywhere, ever. There was never anyone in the backyard. There were swings in the backyard and pools and these yeah. lavish patios and all these decks and 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 uh, outdoor, like, the, the outdoor fireplaces. And it, even at night, no one around. During yeah. the day, no one around. Well, they're no probably walking their, their dog. Uh, no one doing nothing. Like, they're at their Italian villa. It's just to me. It I agree with Eric hundred percent. You almost, it's not that you want their space. You just wonder why it isn't being utilized. Mm. Why is all this space just empty sitting there? And why is it worth millions and millions of dollars? Also, Dave really related to Dave's comment when he talked about when you get to midlife and and you're kind of in that niche where like you know your your parents are getting older and you might have to start helping them out financially yeah, or, yeah. Or, or mentally physically whatever and then your kids are moving out as well i don't have kids but i'm in that space too as a nightclub like i still do djing at the nightclubs it's just like i would never go to a nightclub now i don't think unless i was working do you have it's a just, hard out why would age? i spend my night and then waste my next day when i would rather get up in the morning and go for a walk with my partner or spend the night uh, you know, you've changed, or, John. You know you've what I mean? I really resonated. That really resonated with me. Do you think do you that. have a hard out? Um, I remember when I was when I was hosting the Oilers games, mm-hmm. when I was the in game host. And it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of like running up and down. It's it's a very involved job. And uh, now that I don't work for them anymore, I can say there's a lot of drinking involved. 
I would never say that when I was working for it, but it's a hard lifestyle. Um, it's if not you, that you, if you go you there to drink, it, but you're, you're, no, you're, you're just around people. It's, it's, it's as the an host event host, people. As yeah. a, people get it. If you've been at events where I'm hosting or if you've been at events where Johnny's DJing, you know that, you know, people you're come entertaining up. People, people want to buy you a drink. There's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have, I know someone's going to write in right now. You, you, you realize you don't have to drink everything people buy you. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's a hard lifestyle. And my wife and I have talked many times about like, about evolving out of that. And ultimately COVID 100%. for me was, but it was time to hang them up. 100%. That it was time to move on from that stage in my life. Do you at midlife, uh, do you think about like DJing, for example, you can evolve as a DJ and do oh, different gigs, but of course, do you know how old you would be the last time you would DJ at a club? Do you think about that? I, I think I'm coming to the end of it. I say, I think I've got one more summer season really? left in me. Yeah. I go to, I did, you know, I'll, I'll shout out the bar, Greta Bar. I went there, you know, maybe two months ago and played. And uh, I just, I look out there and and there's a lot going on. And kids are, actually kids seem to be a little more tame. But when I see like the sweaty dancing and the closeness and the vomiting and all that stuff, I'm like, were we like this back then? Or or was I just immune to it all? But also I I understand what you're talking about, the drinking thing. Like when I go DJ corporate events or weddings are really bad. You get the father of the bride or the father of the groom (laughs) or the father of whichever partner coming up. I remember I was at a Russian wedding and these guys... (laughs) Like it's straight vodka the whole time. And they came up and said, hey, you know, do a shot. Uh, we're celebrating, blah, blah, blah. This is a horrible Russian. It's accent. not bad. And I said, okay, yeah. And you don't want to disrespect someone, especially when their culture is 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 rooted. And they're that. paying you. Exactly. So I have a shot and then another one. Caught. And then I had to just, at some point, I had to say, listen, I, I'm not going to be able to perform here. <laughs> but now I told you this yesterday. I, I went all last summer not having a drink at all while yeah. I'm working at a wedding. And that's just... Because I want to be a human the next yeah. morning. I want to spend time with my partner. I don't want to sleep till 4 I love PM. that perspective. And we hear from, you know what? And I love, I, I, I talked to somebody. I know I talked to you about this off the show and I promised her. Uh, I met a real talker a while ago and, and I promised her that I wouldn't. Uh, anyway, she told me, I told you this was kind of tough to hear. She told me she had, she said, I love the show. She said, but I've had to stop listening to the show. She says, because you guys reference alcohol a lot. We do. And she's a and she's a recovering alcoholic. And she we had the most meaningful, wonderful conversation. And um, and she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to start tuning in again. And I remember it was a Thursday. I said, well, don't tune in tomorrow because it's our craft beer round table. <laughs> I said, so maybe wait till Monday. But it's not lost on me. And I just I have so much respect for people that that see something in their life, whether it's booze, drugs, gambling porn whatever it food, is whatever. And food and they just say that is not healthy for me mm-hmm. this is standing in the way of me being my best person yeah. and maybe those reflections are coming in mid-life i love how mid-life. this book is prompting all these thoughts some of them deeper than others um i see some of you have questions about the book or the launch party you can get all the details online at midlifebook.ca before we get to our our, our tradition here every friday presented by our friends at the dqs of northwest edmonton and sherwood park wanted to let you know real quick before the flamethrower that our friends at kubi renewable energy are hiring right now uh this is unbelievable they've still got their teams up on roofs doing solar installs can you believe it like almost at the end of november just the way the weather is going but that's soon will end 
So I said to Jake, the CEO there, I said, you want us to chill out on mentioning the fact that you're hiring? He goes, dude, we're always hiring. I go, but, but you're not installing in the winter. You're hiring installers. He says, listen, he goes, we're doing the interviews. We're going to be starting people in January. They got to get trained up. He goes, you tell the Real Talk audience, we are always hiring at Kubi Energy. I said, loud and clear, buddy. I got gotcha. you. So you can check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca if you're a Sparky, if you're an electrician looking for a change of pace you want to go work somewhere where you can be part of the green energy revolution Uh, also they have floor hockey tournaments and uh, i know we're talking a lot about beer but i'd be remiss if i didn't mention kubi's got beer on tap at their office there you go again you know for quitting time five o'clock hey i'm just telling the truth the the careers link is ready for you apprentices too. kick off your career at the right place at kubi energy all right So once a week, we get a chance to just play a little rock and roll to ramp things up and to hand you the microphone. It's a tradition that's presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. So it's time to bring the heat. We want to hear it. You got something to say? Bring us your hot takes. It's the Flamethrower, presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And Ray writes in. Ray says, why bother? I listened, as I most always do, to your podcast on Monday with Charles Adler. And I was kind of glad that Charles stepped into this poo pile as he was lamenting that Canada only emits a percent and a half of global greenhouse gas emissions. So mathematically, what we do makes no difference. I think Charles knows and understands that the world has a GHG problem, but it's so attractive, says Ray, to make it somebody else's problem. There are 471 million domestic dogs in the world, according to my Google search. So why should I pick up the poop from my dog in a public place? That's only like of the world dog emissions, so why should I bother? Andrew Leach in his book Between Doom and Denial dedicates a whole chapter to this very subject, and I would encourage you to bring him on the show. Andrew Leach is on the show all the time, Ray. He says, basically, if every country had a just too small to matter stance, nothing would happen. He says, for example, China has only 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So acting alone and stopping all emissions from China wouldn't even be enough to make an earth-saving change. So Canada, step up to the plate and become a leader in this global transition so we don't keep stepping in dog poo. That from Ray. I love that one. How about this one from Randy who writes in and says, my husband and I spent our working life in Alberta, but we've now retired in Victoria. We don't want our CPP going to an APP. And it's my understanding that the UCP is feeling like they're due some of our money. My answer is no. That from Randy. Quick and short, concise, love it, Randy. And this run from Derek, who says, CPP or bust. Jespo, thank you for your consistent and real coverage of the potential move by the Alberta government to ditch the CPP for an Alberta pension plan, or as I like to call it, Alberta Social Security. The acronym works ass more appropriate if you ask me Derek we might start using that he says one thing that really chafes my balls sorry everybody is that whenever you or one of the experts you've had on your show emphasize the legitimate risk that we face in moving to an ass you're met with the chorus of you're being hysterical or you're fear mongering or you're Rachel Notley's foot soldier from these pro APP buffoons to them I respond with a hearty earmuffs kids Go fuck yourself, says Derek. And here's the kicker. Their dismissal of real, legitimate concerns from financial advisors and experts, from Albertans who don't want to lose their pensions, 
just shows the entitlement, the arrogance, and the disdain they have for their fellow Canadians. If these poddunks want to... Is it podunks? I think it's podunks. I believe it's podunkies. I think I was like feeling like podcast, <laughs> but podunk. If these podunks want to do this, I suggest they go to their bank, withdraw their life savings, hit the casino, and bet on black while yelling fuck Trudeau at the top of their lungs. Just stay away from my pension. That from Derek, who is CPP or bust. The Flamethrowers presented by the Dairy Queens in... Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Those are the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You let them know that Real Talk sent you. You can send us your flamethrower anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Have an incredible weekend, everybody. Thanks for supporting Real Talk. Go get your hands on Midlife 2.0, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Perry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Carmen Candola. Catherine O'Neill and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.